0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way, our Southridge member podcast. And uh, this fall, I've already mentioned in previous editions that we're gonna kind of change it up a little bit and uh, not just hear from voices that can speak to kind of the vision and direction of our church from a leadership perspective, or help profile new people so that you as a membership know who's who in the zoo, but ultimately try to get into hearing some stories of everyday people across our locations, in our communities and be inspired by them. And so for the first crack at that, I'm really excited to have someone who is very special to me uh, at a personal level, uh, our founding pastor uh, named John Ecker. John, welcome here, say hi to everybody. Hello everybody. Give those of us who don't know you uh, just a little background about yourself, where you came from, what you're up to these days, that kind of stuff.
1: I was born in a small village in the Ukraine. Since my father was a pastor, he performed a Christian funeral in 1933. And of course, Christian funerals were a no-no under Sovietism. On his way home from the funeral service, he was arrested and shortly after tried and sentenced to Siberia for three three years. On his way to Siberia, he was taken off the train at the train station in Kharkov, where he died of hunger and dehydration. Thus, my mother was left with four children, of which I was the youngest. I was therefore destined to grow up in a single parent home. The Second World War was a blessing for us as it allowed us to escape communist rule. We came first to Poland, then to Germany. And then in 1949, we came to Canada. I had only a grade six education, but a few years after our arrival, I went to a Bible college in Winnipeg and for a few years and then to university as an adult special student. I was able to complete my university education, became a high school teacher and eventually a school administrator. I retired from school administration in 1992 and from the church, pastored in 1996. At present, my wife and I love to cr- do a lot of cruising. And in my spare time, I'm a tour guide in the Niagara region.
0: I, uh, talking with you before this, one of the things we have in common, you mentioned that when you travel, uh, sometimes your wife has a hard time keeping up with you in airports. You're a fast airport walker. You and I need to travel together because I'm a fast airport walker too.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm a fast
0: walker. Oh, that's funny. Now, um, you mentioned there in in your and by the way, I mean fantastic story. We could dig into so many different pieces of this, John. Um, I'm curious though, in that era when you were uh, teaching, uh, you were teaching in high school, uh, there was some conversation about. Uh, starting a new church. And part of the story that we want to enter into is actually kind of the, the founding narrative of the church that we are today. And so just give us a bit of perspective on the story of how people came together
1: around those early conversations of starting a new church. Around 1978, the Fairview School on 9th Street Louth was closed to a declining enrollment. Someone in the Louth community suggested to one of the founding members of Fairview Louth that the school should be bought for the purposes of establishing a church. Thus, Mennonite brethren church members, who for the most part were farmers and business people that lived in the area, got together, made an offer for the school, it which was accepted, and established a church there. The church was called Fairview Louth to distinguish it from the Fairview Church on Geneva City.
0: Right, right. Um, I mean, thinking back in that era, and it's funny to hear that, you know, first things first, there was a school that was abandoned and that was purchased. I mean, that's uh, what we had then when we relocated again in St. Catherine's, a school that was abandoned, that was purchased, renovated and whatever uh, used for a church. Um, in the conversations outside of just buying that building and the conversations of what this church would kind of be and do... Uh, what do you remember that people were hoping for or imagining
1: in that day? Starting a new church uh, provides one with a golden opportunity through visit of how one does church. Churches t- tend to get frozen in time; that is, they start various programs, but over time, fail to evaluate whether these programs really accomplish what they have what they're supposed to do. The church set out to evaluate the programs they had been used to in their mother churches and decided to eliminate most of them except for Sunday School and make a fresh start. Um, so the operative word for the new church was change. Since the church attenders were mostly young couples in their thirties uh, with two or three children, change was more easily to come by.
0: Do you remember some of the things practically that, uh, in the preliminary conversations of what this church would become, uh, where you felt like you were frozen in time, that you imagined changing in this new church? What would some of those things be?
1: The church structure was not altered too much, as we were a small group, and the congregational model of church decision-making was kept intact. Sunday school was maintained with the falling change. Teachers were encouraged to have a social time with their students once a month. We tried to have a church supper for all the attendees, that is, young and old and community people. Once a month, we had what was known as an adult fellowship, where we met together um, for its activities such as games, food, and test- a testimony were a short talk. Once a year, we had a retreat for the whole church somewhere in Northern Ontario. All our activities were planned so that our children would like church and it would be attractive to community people. It is not surprising that many of these children have become pastors in later years as the church was a fun place to be at.
0: I want to tap into that in a little bit, Uh, staying at the kind of origin story there. um, Do you remember anything back in that day, John, about the meetings that you would have or the prayer times to discern, you you know, what kind of church we would be, what we're going to revisit, what we hope that God would do that gave you the sense that God was in it? When did you get the sense that God was in it and calling you to, to do this church?
1: I was not part of the founding membership. The church officially started in February 1980 without a pastor. I was called considered to be a teaching pastor as a lay minister. This has been the tradition of the Mennonite Brethren Church for generations. That is, to have a lay person do the teaching in the church while that person was pursuing their vocation in the secular world. I did this from September, 1980 to June, 1992. I then took early retirement from the school administration and became a full-time teaching pastor at Fairview Louth until 1996.
0: Yeah. So in that world, can you describe for us just a, a little bit of how a lay pastor pastors, right? You're a, you're a vice principal at a high school. And, uh, you know, teaching an educational system by day. So you did this all in the evenings? You did all sermon prep or visits or, you know, weddings, funerals? Like, how, 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 did, that, how did that
1: work? Uh, remember, uh, 1980, I also became a school administrator. Yeah. Now, school administrators are very busy during the day, but they have no papers to mark in the evening, no uh, lessons to prepare, So evenings and weekends were free for me. So since the church was new, I did not have to live up to church traditions, which is very liberating to a pastor. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Also, since I was a lay pastor, for the most part, church membership demands were kept to a minimum. Everybody assumed responsibility for the success and the growth of the church. Right. They weren't leaning as much into
0: the leadership or the pastoral leadership because they knew this wasn't your...
1: I was job. very fortunate to have four couples who acted as deacons.
0: Right, So right. if
1: anything needed to be looked after, like to be cared for, I just made one phone call and the needs were looked right,
0: after. Right, that was like the, the deacons back in the day were like right. a crisis response With team. Right you are. And uh, so, you know, off you go, 1980 to 1992, 12 years, you're working as a lay pastor and essentially pastoring this church on the side. Uh, in that era, what were you hoping to contribute to the church
1: as this vice principal at a high school? Well, basically, I felt myself as one of the, as one of the members. I did not feel myself as Right. The leader. Right. Matter of fact, I depended very heavily on the board, and I was very fortunate to have a board with strong leadership, and that helped. And um, I serious difficulties, I don't think I did encounter any. If I did, there were many, mainly of my own making or my inadequacies. We did become less denominational during that period because the name denominations are generally known by their... Many rules which tend to violate being saved by grace through faith, as the rules tend to define one's faith and one's behavior, and so we tended to move away from it. Not totally, because traditions are hard to live down. But uh, as we went on, we had less and less rules.
0: Well, wow, what was interesting too, and I don't want to get into denominationalism too deep, but what what was interesting, in 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 my understanding of that era, is in a lot of ways, the primary purposes of the denomination were the doing together of these ministry initiatives that you couldn't do alone, That's which right. even today, we still wholeheartedly support the summer camps and the the seniors homes and Bethesda and the uh, SLC at Eden High School and things like that. You know, as those were emerging back in the day, we were hugely pro those ministries, but like you said, some of the religiosity or the the doctrinal distinctives, that, that was something that it felt like we cared about less even before our time because it distracted people from the simplicity and purity of the by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, gospel, right? So um, now talk a little bit about the shift then from you becoming this lay or volunteer pastor to you becoming the first staff member? What had to happen there uh, for you to become a staff pastor of the church other
1: than you retiring from teaching? Not really very much had, uh, did, okay? Um, I can't think of a plan to change the church. Change just happened. Since, as I said previously, that change was the operative word for Fairview Louth, there was a group of young individuals, including Chris Fowler, who started a regular community gathering called The Gathering, at which contemporary songs were sung with the accompaniment of various musical instruments other than organ and piano. At the same time while this was going on, Fairview Louth had hired Chris as my associate. Chris became the song leader at our church services and, of course, introduced a worship band and contemporary songs often written by Chris himself. At this point, it became my job to defend the changes Chris was introducing. One person remarked to my wife, if these changes become part of the church, I will leave, to which my wife replied, since my kids like it and my grandkids like it, I am all for it. What helped in the change process, that is from traditional to contemporary, was that we all knew Chris's tender heart, which was a huge asset. I have often remarked, had Chris been an outsider, the changes would have been stopped right there.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to talk about that, that transitional era. And I'm going to want to press into that part of the story uh, a little more deeply. But before I do, though, let's stay with the the, the era where you're still pastoring. Just just to give our, our members a bit of a sense of, of your heart. Uh, John, what did you most enjoy about being a pastor?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I know it takes a long time, it time to, to think, think about.
0: Time. Did I enjoy it? No. Yeah, I, I know you enjoyed being a pastor. I,
1: I, I think um, people. Although that it's interesting, uh, my wife always remarked, pastors are introverts.
0: Yeah, often.
1: And uh, so uh, sometimes the weaknesses that I experience is when I want to see a person i would go towards that person and avoid all the others which was a criticism for me Mm -hmm. because people said i was avoiding them i wasn't really but i was too focused to see that person that i had decided i want to see that day and talk to Mm -hmm. so uh that was one of the weaknesses probably that i experienced Mm -hmm. but um other than that i i really enjoyed being a pastor i Preaching was good, but it put a lot of pressure on you. To me, a sermon is almost like giving birth to a baby, although I've never given birth to a baby. But you're really, uh, inwardly, you're giving birth to a conversation that you hope will help people in their spiritual life. Yeah,
0: and you carry it for some, almost... Yeah, so
1: Sunday afternoons or Sunday noon meals, we're not good at our family because... uh, I had to come down and relax. I was very fortunate to have a wife who was very good at that. She would not at any time after the message make any comments about the message. <laughs> <laughs> so that if it, something wasn't uh, rightly said, it wouldn't deflate me yeah, even more, okay?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, that's great. Um, in addition to what you enjoyed, uh, thinking about your era pastoring our church, what, what, what are some things that you found most challenging? in the church. Yeah, well just about being a pastor. What was hard about being a pastor other than Sunday lunch is tiring?
1: See, because again, it had to do a lot with being a young congregation. Yeah. You didn't have all the difficulties that one encounters in a larger in a uh, older More congregation, okay? Old, yeah. So um, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of good friends there and people supported me. I can't remember receiving any major criticism, which is a real asset for being a pastor. Mm,
0: Yeah, that's a tough part, certainly, of of being in church leadership. Um, Segwaying into where you were already taking us, about 15 years uh, into the church's inception, started in 1980, now we're into the mid-90s, a group of leaders began discussing this idea that we now refer to as generational transfer. And uh, can you just give us sort of your version of how that conversation even emerged. You mentioned Chris Fowler as kind of the initial, you know, we're going we're to give this person a chance. But what was the thinking even behind that of why you would give a person like Chris a
1: chance? With my retirement, a void was created in the church. Chris did not see himself as a lead pastor. He met with a number of his friends at the hollow for breakfast on a regular basis. It was here, as I understand it, that the, he encouraged Mike Krause and Jeff Lockyer. Both of them had just graduated with an engineering degree from university to, to consider taking on the church. Both were 24 years old, and with the church board support, the three young men took on the leadership of leading, teaching, and music ministry in the church. Remember, the operative word for fairy had been changed, and so the change was quite readily accepted.
0: It's interesting that the, when you talk about the founding narrative, it, it feels like there were, from my perspective, kind of joining into that story uh, a little later on there, that that there were two founding values. One was the, the founding value of change. The other was the starting a church uh, to be the kind of church that your kids and grandkids would engage in. Right. right, You already talked about Viola saying, you know, if my kids are into it and my grandkids are into it, then I'm kind of into it too. And, you know, when a church is founded with a view of next generations and then some of those next generations emerge with the opportunity to kind of take it over or take some of the, the responsibility. At that point, there's a sense in which it only makes sense because it's now the realization of that founding Vision, that's how I understood
1: it. Is that how it felt back then? Yes. Yeah. Now, why did it change work? Because both Mike and Jeff were excellent pulpiteers, and Jeff provided excellent leadership. While Chris continued with the Contemporary Music Ministry, it also helped that the church board provided fairly good support for the new
0: church team. Interesting that, uh, and I appreciate that, that those encouragements, but uh, interesting that, that there actually was, for everyone to appreciate, there actually was an era where it was just you and Chris for a while. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. And uh, I say that because... One of the most seismic changes in our church was the transition of music style. That's well, That was it. They used to call it the worship wars of church. And I was never part of that. And Michael really, I mean, he was in a band, I think, at the time, but uh, as crazy as that is to imagine. But uh, that was really you and Chris navigating that yourselves. Can you talk about that at all? How those worship wars played out in our context, in our church?
1: Yes, uh, as I said, I had to be uh, a support for Chris, and so I had to do a lot of counseling on the side with older members, as we said, who were not interested in the change. They did not like the new music. Yet, what helped again, as I said, Chris wrote most of the songs, and I think uh, the new team, like Jeff and Mike, before they preached, at least that's my impression they got together with Chris and so Chris was able to write a song to match the message on Thursday night and some of those songs brought tears to your eyes yeah yeah so that really yeah my counseling people helped a lot and I guess I had enough uh, goodwill that they accepted my counseling yeah yeah yeah. now some people though did leave uh, they would not accept the change. Yeah,
0: yeah, it it and it felt like, from my perspective, in you and in in other leaders of your generation, it felt like the the focus on you know what matters most in the gospel and the biblical message of Jesus, and focusing on the why that this church was about change and was about generations and was about orientation to outsiders and things like that. I mean, these are all things that you're talking about were core to founding this that now are coming to fruition that you're trying to lean into when you're, when you're shepherding people to, to embrace this. So it's just interesting to me.
1: Well, what was helped too is because of the gathering,
0: right. That worship, event. many
1: new people yeah. attended. And so people had difficulty. It's, it's working. So why, yeah, right. right. Well, why I oppose it? it?
0: Yeah. You're seeing people baptized and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Specifically, John, what, what did it take? Because this, this in my experience, this is actually what differentiates this working from not working. It, it It has less to do. And I know you're pointing on the second generation and what we brought to it. There's also, though, a role that the first generation plays. And I'm just wondering what it took for the founding generation to be able to release the leadership of the church to our generation. It's one thing for us to take it. What did it take for your generation to
1: release it? since the church grew rather, la- uh, rather rapidly leadership style had to change this caused some of us older members some concern as we only knew one style of church leadership namely congregational leadership style that is church membership made decisions regarding the teaching and the direction of the, t- the church was going it took a few years for us older members to accept the elder board leadership style yeah, yeah
0: that was that was certainly a, a, a piece and we've I think seen that um, o- over the years too when you know some of some of us around here have been groomed literally like for 50 years to appreciate that the way church makes decisions is through all of us in a much more democratic sense than to entrust that to certain, positional or certain gifted or certain freed up people to play that role on our collective behalf that
1: was a huge and which was possible because the church was small yes and to me the realization came about two two or three years later that in a large church you can't work on a democratic decision making yeah, model yeah it had to be elder board led yeah
0: yeah Uh, One one thing that I'd like to contribute to this, and I know you're not going to say this, but there was certainly an attitude in your generation, and I would say even specifically in you, that was essential for this to happen. Because at the end of the day, when we're talking about the shift of authority and responsibility, people like you were relinquishing power and relinquishing position and relinquishing opportunity. And that's not... That's not easy for everyone to do. I remember very vividly, you probably don't even remember this, but on one of my very first Sundays employed by the church, this is just over 22 years ago now, uh, in September of 97, where where Mike and I joined that team with Chris. And uh, I was walking out of the the room, Mike and I had those twin rooms that were our offices okay. up on the foyer at at uh, Fairview Louth, and, and walking out... You, you did what you described earlier, you beelined and you were beelining to me and you had a name badge on and it, you know, it had John and it said, here to serve. And uh, you were ushering that day. And you looked at me and you kind of gave me the salute and you said, reporting for duty boss. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. Cause I thought, you know, how many positional leaders would look at 24 year old, you know, untrained just grew up in the community kind of people and entrust them that joyfully with with that level of encouragement and freedom to lead. That that reporting for duty, boss, I've got to say this to you. I hope that one day I can usher around here and look at some other leader with my name tag on and say reporting for duty here, boss, with as much positivity and encouragement as you did. That was pretty special.
1: Probably because um, that's kind of my mentality. I'm not... uh, uh, I would say self-oriented, that I got to be successful. Um, I always work on the principle, if it works, let's do it.
0: Hmm.
1: Not because I have a certain agenda, it's got to be done this way. Yeah. If this theory doesn't work, then change to yeah. what works. And yeah. that's been yeah. my, my a more my pragmatic a,
0: ma- a more pragmatic approach. That's than right. But pragmatic is good. Yeah, yeah me yeah. too. Um, let's fast forward then and talk about, you know, you've been kind of blazing through the story. And talk about where we where we're at today, as you as you look at where our church is at today, and consider now the almost forty year view that that you would have. um, What's changed the most about our church from where it started?
1: Um. First of all, what has remained most constant since your church started? Okay, (laughs) that's the opposite question. This clear teaching of the word and the membership's willingness to change as new challenges arise in order to minister to the culture of the day. I think that's the important part that has remained.
0: Yeah. Biblical rootedness with a view towards relevant impact in the culture that accommodates change in how we do what we do.
1: Which comes back to my, my own makeup. Yeah. If it works, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't hold on to old things. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate. My wife is very much the same. So that area, we, we both share very clearly.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. You talk about being frozen in time. You made that comment that, the, you know, the church before ours that we came from was frozen in time. And we tried to get it out of that. So. Uh-huh.
1: And we were always looked down upon because we would not follow traditional church methods, okay? I know I But know the that's that's fine. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, we've sort of inherited that that uh, that feel. Uh, so that's what what's remained the most
1: constant. What would you say has changed the most? What has changed the most? I don't think. I think the way you, the church is being done. I mean, you young guys have brought in a lot of changes, and uh, I would not say what has changed is is what some people would look upon as negative. I look upon it positive, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, at a personal level, John... I, we'll put one other thing. Yeah. You have followed through with what we started, programs. You are not for programs. Mm. Unless it's worthwhile, do it. But just to have a program for program's sake, forget about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I would say at a personal level, John, what, what, what have you learned in this 40-year run of being part of this church? What, what have you learned most about God through all this? What I've learned
1: about God is I have learned that If we are faithful, he will bless and build and guide us. This sounds like a trite statement, but it sums up what I have learned about God. I would not be here if it were not for God's grace. Hmm. Hmm. Reminds me of the the Jeff Mannion
0: kind of year that we spent last year just trying to be faithful in a slow and steady way over a long period of time in response to his faithfulness to us.
1: Which was uh, really Mike's message, I think, the other Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for, for those
0: of us listening across our locations from younger generations, what, what would be one thing, John, that you'd want future generations to remember as the church grows for the
1: future? The challenge to the membership would be, is don't be afraid of change, provided that change is based on God's word. Now, this is quite a mouthful, as our human inclination is to be selective as to what the word says. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that becomes the conversation, doesn't it? Is What does the word say and how does it work? How does it play out in, in, in our day and age? But, uh, yeah, the, the constant around here has been change, and that's been something that we continue to try to embrace today. Um as you're thinking about speaking and kind of addressing a whole bunch of different generations across all of our locations, uh, any sort of final challenges or encouragements that you'd want to share with our membership?
1: Support your leadership.
0: How much am I paying you to say that right <laughs> As one, yeah. From one leader to another, it's, uh, I appreciate that. As, it, as it I told helps.
1: said before, I've been very, very fortunate. I think I've always received very good support. And very little criticism. That doesn't say that I was that smart, but that just God helped me yeah. in that regard. Yeah. And, and really, I got into ministry mainly to express to my gratitude to God for leading me out of a communist-dominated country into a land of freedom. And so I always felt this obligation that I should express my gratitude to God through ministry. Mm-hmm.
0: Amazing. Uh, Thanks so much for sharing your story today and for making some comments just along the 40-year journey of our church. That was so cool to kind of enter into. Uh, Let me wrap up by just providing a few comments of appreciation and affirmation of you and the role that you played in that era. Uh, You know, some of you don't know, that John was the pastor who baptized me. I was in the, you know, I'm in the baptism tank with people. Well, you were in the baptism tank with me. And uh, we kind of got that special moment i remember you know eras of my life uh before i I, or after high school when i originally entered university uh, i got mono and had to take a semester off and i remember the pastoral visit that you came and provided you brought me a a devotional kind of an athlete's devotional i kept that for years and was a real legacy of uh, uh, a memory for me uh, I know another another real big value that you've added over the years is uh, both you and Viola being advocates of our marriage, and uh, we had a different pastor officiate our wedding because we had a, our wedding in a different church, so that church pastor, John Garner, uh, officiated our wedding, but uh, I know we'd gone out a couple of times with you and Viola about what it was like to be married and do vocational ministry, There are comments, uh, even in that era, that were profusely helpful to uh, both Becky and I that I appreciate. And, you know, these days, watching some of your kids and now some of your grandkids and even some of your great-grandkids now are in our community, it's just a beautiful picture to see, imagining What was being dreamed of 40 years ago to become the kind of community that would not only serve the world around it, but be a place where your kids and grandkids and maybe not even viewed back then, but great grandkids could be part of it. That's that's pretty cool. So I appreciate you very much and the role that you played, not just in my life personally, but the integral role that you've played in God's story around here. Blessings to you and Viola, uh, especially as you guys travel. I hope that she can keep up with you in the airport. (laughs) And thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, We'll see you next week as we continue finding our way together. Take care.